Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Uh, believe it or not, we have two weeks left in the book of Job. We begin a brand new series called Better Together, June 5th. Let me just remind you, we are worshiping under one roof in one space June 5th um, as a celebration of our unity in the gospel in this church family and as a reminder that we are indeed better together. So um, if you know folks um, that, that are still worshiping at home and have not found themselves back uh, in a church family or even this church family, would you encourage them June 5th? Put it on your calendar, come. That's just a few weeks away. We want you to be a part of that. But until then, we have two weeks left in Job. And remember, last week, um, God finally stepped in and began to speak to Job. This is exactly what Job has been demanding and asking for for a long time. We don't know how long Job has been sitting in his suffering and what his suffering has been made worse because the conversation that he's been having with his friends has not been comforting. They have consistently accused him that his suffering is because of his personal sin and he's been insistent. No, I haven't done anything wrong. And he was, he's been shaking his fists at the Lord. Lord, you tell me what I've done wrong. Why are you doing this to me? And even questioning God's management of the universe. He's been asking questions. Can I really trust a God that allows things like these, this to happen in my life, this suffering? Can I trust God's management of the universe? And last week, when God finally stepped in, he said one thing primarily. And that thing was this, Job, your view of the universe, this little slice of suffering in your life is small. You have a very narrow, small view of life. And this is all you can see right now. But Joe, can I remind you that my view of all time and history and your life is infinitely deep and wide. And even though you don't understand the reason why this suffering is happening in your life, you can trust that I do. And I'm going to fit it all together for your good. God is saying, trust my wisdom and management of the world because I see the big picture when you see very little. And so where does he go this week. 
Um, This week, he introduces to us two incredible, awesome, awesome creatures um, that we can really get bewildered by because uh, they're described in such a ways, in such a way that we can't really comprehend or make sense of. Uh, But before we get there, we're going to read portions of chapter 40 and 41 uh, in just a moment. Can I just pause um, and pray? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, as your people, we need your word. And so we're grateful that you have revealed yourself through creation, through your son, and through your written word. And now we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit so that we can see and hear what you have to say to us, and even more, so that we can actually obey or change our thinking in accordance to your word. Um, So we ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, In Job chapter 40 and 41, God introduces to us these two incredible creatures. One is called the behemoth. uh, The other is called the Leviathan. And it seems to me that God is trying to convey two primary principles to Job. Now remember, the book of Job is a book of wisdom. God is trying to convey and teach to us how do we live in this world, in this life. In particular, the question is, how do we live in a world, how do we live wisely in a life where there is suffering like this that happens, where it seems like bad things happen to good people, as in this case with Job. That's one of the aims that the book has. And in answering those questions, there are two foundational principles that God is adding to what he said last week. And he does it through describing these incredible, incredible creatures. So I'm just going to read a description of first the behemoth. This is in chapter 40, verses 15 through 24, and then chapter 41, verses one through eight. Just listen and receive these Verses from God's word. God says, Job, take a look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It's a prime example of God's handiwork and only its creator can threaten it. The mountains offer it their best food where all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants hidden by the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade among the willows beside the stream. It is not disturbed by the raging river, not concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. And then he goes on to talk about the Leviathan. Can you catch a Leviathan with a hook or put a nose around its jaw, a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? 
Will it beg you for mercy or employ you for pity? Will it agree to work for you or to be your slave for life? Can you make it a pet like a bird or give it to your little girls to play with? Will merchants try to buy it, to sell it in their shops? Will its hide be hurt by spears or its head by a harpoon? If you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. You won't try that again. And so God unveils to Job and describes to Job these incredible, incredible beasts. And there are some things that really stand out beyond these description of these beasts and how fierce and big and uh, unimaginably powerful they are. The first thing is, is that God is pretty explicit that God created these beasts just like he created Job. He says this uh, in verse 15 and 19 of 40, take a look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. God created them. Or in verse 19, where he says, it's a prime example of God's handiwork and only its creator can threaten it. God says, I created these beasts. And not only that, but it seems like when we read these verses, this poetry describing these incredible animals, it seems like God is pretty proud of his creation, doesn't it? Uh, God's like, look what I did. Look at my handiwork. And they were created just like you created. Obviously, men and women were created in the image of God. These creatures are not. But God is simply saying, I created you from the dust and I created these animals from the dust and I think they are awesome. If you read some of these verses in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 41, God says, no one on earth is its equal. No other creature so fearless. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. God says, it is the king of beasts. God loves his created work in these beasts. He says they're awesome. And if God has created them, that means they're good, right? These creatures that he has created are good. They're not evil. They're not a product of the fall in Genesis chapter three. They're not a result of our brokenness or the brokenness of the world. God says, I created these fierce, powerful, untouchable, untamable creatures. Why would he say something like that? What's his point to Job in describing such incredible creatures? I think Job is trying to convey to our God is trying to convey to Job one simple principle that we don't often hear, and that is, you know, Job, when I put the world together, when I created all the beasts, even these two beasts, I didn't design this world to be child safe, human safe, suffering less. There are parts of this world that by their very nature are wild and unsafe, even dangerous. Right? God says, you wouldn't mess with these beasts. Uh, what, what does he say in, um, in chapter 41, verse eight? 
If you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. You wouldn't try that again. If you encounter a Leviathan, it'll mess you up. And it's not evil. It's just doing what it does. And I created it that way. The world was not tailor-made for our safety, God says, in some situations. There are still rough parts of our world where you can lose an arm. In this case, literally. Try to, try to put a noose around a Leviathan's neck. See what happens. Try to throw a spear. Try to put a hook in its nose. See what happens. You might not live to, the, live to describe it. And so God is trying to convey to Job, listen, sometimes suffering doesn't have a personal reason. Sometimes suffering isn't tied to personal sin or or someone else's sin. Sometimes suffering happens because it's the result of living in a good but sometimes occasionally dangerous world, one that I created. Interesting thought, isn't it? That seems to be what God is saying. And if he's saying that, then the wisdom he's trying to convey to Job is, Job, listen, um, you've been wrestling this this whole time as to why suffering has happened to you. You don't know the reason why. And you may know, you'll, you'll probably never know the reason why. And even I've told you, you wouldn't understand it. But wisdom is living in that kind of Jane dangerous world with, with full awareness, preparedness, and navigating suffering if and when it comes with great faith and humility, having full confidence that I can even redeem the danger, the danger that you come in contact with and the suffering that is inflicted upon you. You can entrust that to me. But sometimes suffering comes just by the nature of the world that we live in. It's, it's why that we insist on people wearing seatbelts. It's why I check Life 360, the Life app, you know, where you can track everyone in your family and where they're driving. It's why I check where my daughter is and where she's driving because I know that our world isn't all padded, is it? And if something were to happen to her on the road, it's not because of someone's sin or someone else's sin. It's because we live in a dangerous world that requires wisdom and preparedness and awareness, right? That's what, that's what God is trying to say. We live in a dangerous world. It's Sometimes it's rough around the edges and wisdom is navigating those things. But that's not the only thing that God is trying to teach Job uh, in these texts about these two incredible animals. In Job chapter 40, uh, verses nine and then 19, verse nine it says, uh, this is actually before we get to the behemoth he says to Job, are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? And then verse 19, he says, the behemoth is a prime example of God's handiwork and only its creator can threaten it. And so in both verses, uh, God is trying to shape Job's view of the kind of God that he is. Right? No one's any match for me. Even these behemoth, this behemoth that you can't, touch, you can't domesticate, you can't tame, I'm the only one that can threaten that animal. It doesn't fear anyone else but me. We go on to chapter 41, verses 10 and 11. Listen to these verses. 
This is just halfway through God's description of the Leviathan. And since no one dares to disturb the Leviathan, who then can stand up to me? Right? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine, God says. This is, this is what God seems to be saying to Job. This is what God's trying to teach Job. Job, not in a million years would you consider trying to make the Leviathan your pet. Uh, not in a million years would you brazenly and cavalierly approach the Leviathan with a noose and try to bring it home to your daughter. You would never even consider it because you recognize and have great fear and respect for the Leviathan. You know if you try to wrangle the, Le- the Leviathan, you literally could use life and limb, Right? You approach the Leviathan with tremendous respect and awe. In fact, you don't approach it at all. And if you think the Leviathan's dangerous, if you think the Leviathan's dangerous, you better check me out because I'm far more dangerous than the Leviathan. I'm far mightier than the Leviathan and worthy of respect. God says to Job, you wouldn't attempt to domesticate the Leviathan, then why in the world would you attempt to domesticate me? What has Job been doing? Even though he's never cursed God, he's, he's done what we ought to do when we face frustration and anger and we're processing the things that we're going to. He's going straight to God, but, but he has make, he's been making demands of God. God, you bring me into your court. I have questions for you. I question your judgment and management of the universe trying to bring God into his little box. And God says, if you wouldn't touch the Leviathan, be careful in touching me. You wouldn't domesticate Leviathan, then you certainly wouldn't domesticate me. Man, how often do we try to domesticate God? Probably more often than we realize. Um, Made me think of... um, the book C.S. Lewis wrote, Lion, Witch, and the World Drove. Have y'all read that before? Um, and and uh, Lewis uses the, the lion, right, as, as the picture of Christ in this story, this fierce creature. Um, and there's a passage, um, a, a quotation from that book that I think really articulates the kind of danger and dangerous character that we have in the Lord. It says this, Aslan stood in the center of a crowd of creatures who had grouped themselves around him in the shape of a half moon. But as for Aslan himself, the beavers and the children didn't know what to do or say when they saw him. People who have not been in Nardia sometimes think that, think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. Good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great royal solemn overwhelming eyes. And then they found they couldn't look at him and went all trembly. This is what God is pushing Job to experience do you see that I'm good and terrible 
Do you think those creatures are dangerous? I'm infinitely more dangerous than they are. You can't domesticate them. You would never even think of it. Why would you think and consider that you can put me in a box and domesticate me? Furthermore, he says, I don't owe you anything in 41 uh, verse 11. He says, you're making all these demands of me and all the questions that I should answer. And God says, Job, I don't owe you one thing. I don't owe you one thing. You can't domesticate me, nor should you even consider that you can domesticate me. And you think I owe you all of these reasons and all these responses. I don't owe you one thing. So um, it led me to begin asking some other questions of myself. And that is, in what ways, in what ways do I or we attempt to domesticate God, right? What are some ways that I kind of put God where I want him to be in my own life, fit him into my own living rather than the other way around? Um, Just really quickly, three ways that I think we are tempted to do that. Um, I think we, we try to domesticate God um, by making him the affirming God. What do I mean by that? Um, this is so countercultural. Um, so countercultural. We live in a world that says if they're talking about God at all, they talk about God, he's just going to affirm you. He's going to welcome and affirm you. And those, those aren't bad words to use to describe God. But the way in which our world uses that word to describe God, it's he really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're doing or how you're living and who you're loving or whatever. God just is gonna affirm and welcome you. He's gonna affirm and welcome you. And, and the world and even us, we've made this God, he's just all this, this, this cozy, cuddly kind of God who's always gonna say, yes, yes, that's wonderful, yes, that's great. Oh, I love you, I love you. Just come as you are, you just, you do you. But that, that's not the kind of God that you see in Job chapter 41, who says, you wouldn't mess with a Leviathan, what makes you think you can mess with me like that? You wouldn't try to pull a Leviathan around, what makes you think you can pull me around? You wouldn't make demands of a Leviathan. Why do you think you can make demands of me? I don't owe you a thing. But we want to say, oh, God's just an affirming God, crazily countercultural. Uh, the other thing that um, I think we are tempted to do is that uh, we make him a God who makes suggestions, not commands. Right? We try to domesticate God and say, God, those are great ideas. Man, that's really noble for us to do those kind of things. And we start relating to the things that God has told us to be like or to do as we follow Christ and we treat them like suggestions. Rather than coming from this fierce, terribly loving, magnificent, holy, glorious God who says, 
I have designed you for a life like this of which I am worthy and of which you are called. We don't do that as often as we should. We just kind of make what he tells us to do. We take what we want and we think, well, some of these are great ideas, but I'm not, I just can't do that. I'm not gonna do that. Doesn't fit into my life. Doesn't fit into my life. We, we treat the things that God says as suggestions, not commands, like, I'll forgive that person when I get around to it. I'll be kind to these people when they're kind to me. I'll show them the respect when they show me respect. Uh, those are the ways of the world. God says we don't, we don't live in the world like they live in the world. We, you, do, you live the way I command you to live. I call you to forgive and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, God says, go make disciples. Invest in your neighbors. Bless those who curse you. And we treat them like suggestions. When I have the time, when I can get around to it. Oh, I'm not trained. Oh, I'll let them do it. And God says, these aren't suggestions. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm a fierce lion of Judah. Don't treat my commands like suggestions. The last thing that I think that we, and we could probably have a, a longer list, but the last thing that I think we do when we try to domesticate God is that we make God, we make him into a God who lives on our terms, right? When's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, what's your schedule for me today? This is the first time I've ever gotten a call during a sermon. Anyone want to answer this for me? Uh, <laughs> maybe it's the Lord. Uh, maybe. Yes, God, your servant's listening. I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, sometimes uh, we make God live on our own terms. I mean, again, when's the last time we've ever said, Lord, what's your schedule for me today? What's your schedule for my family? When's the last time... Um, we ask the Lord, Lord, what's your mission and priority for my life? Uh, how should I align my life according to your will and kingdom rather than my kingdom? When's the last time you've asked that? Um, when's the last time we stopped and asked the Lord, Lord, what are your terms for living in my life today, uh, this week, this month? How would you have me live today? How would you have me uh, relate uh, to my wife and kids or, or my, my coworkers? How would you have me love and bless? How would you have me uh, speak the words of the gospel? Lord, what would you have me be today and do today? But whether intentionally or subtly or inadvertently, we oftentimes just kind of dismiss those kind of things and we begin just living life on our own terms, so much so that we just kind of start saying, God, you just kind of, you just kind of fit into my life rather than me fitting into what you have designed me to do and called me to do in yours. It's humbling, isn't it? And God told Job, he said, Job, listen to me. You live in a dangerous world that you have to entrust your life to me, but there's no way that you can live wisely in this world if you attempt to domesticate me, make demands of me, make me live on your terms. 
treat my commands like suggestions. That's not the kind of God that I am. And that's not the kind of person that I've called you to be, but you must relate to me knowing that I am holy like an unquenchable fire. I am glorious and mighty and wonderful. Us domesticating God is trying to like stuff the sun in a jar, right? I'm gonna fit God into this. Or, or it's like diving into the Mariana Trench. Y'all know the Mariana Trench? It's like 36,000 feet deep underwater. The, the might and glory and holiness of God is like hitting the bottom of that Mariana Trench and then keeping on going. God says, I am unfathomable in my holiness and glory. Will you follow me? Will you relate to me with that kind of perspective of who I am? That's convicting for me. We're gonna move into a time of response. And I just want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about and consider the ways in very practical ways. What, what are some ways that I've really just taken God for granted in my own life? Uh, what are some ways that I've made demands of God rather than yielding to his demands? Uh, when's the last time I've really tried to pursue God's schedule for me rather than the calendar I have made for myself? Think practically. So just take a few moments and consider what are some ways that you've tried to domesticate God? And once you've landed on one or two, would you confess those and repent of that? There are, there are undoubtedly several of you in this room who have never lived your life for God. You have lived for yourself. And maybe for the first time, the spirit of God in his mercy and grace is helping you see Jesus for the first time. And, and Jesus, through the power of the spirit of God, says, you have lived your life your own way. Will you come to me, believe in me, repent of that waywardness so that you can be forgiven and have new life and new purpose in new ways? Would you do that today? Would you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, which you are desperate for because you've made God into your own image your whole life? Even if you don't believe in God, you've made him into your own image your whole life. And today's an opportunity to say, I, I admit all that, I confess all that, and I want to be forgiven of that. And I want to have new purposeful life with your son, Jesus. Will you respond today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this powerful yet simple message that we have in Job. That Lord, sometimes we don't have the exact reasons and personal reasons for the trials that we face or uh, the hardship that we experience. We know you'll use it. We trust that. But help us to trust you in all of that. But Lord, most importantly, in light of that, Lord, may we, may we revere you. May we recognize that you are a dangerously holy God, far more dangerous than any creature you created. We can no less tame, the, tame you than tame a T-Rex. Help us to get that today. 
and humble us so that we can align our life according to your will and not our own. Help us to ask those kind of life questions. Lord, how would you have me live? How would you have me arrange my schedule? How would you have me serve my friends? How would you have me work in this world? Rather than going about things our own way and making you fit and live life on our terms. Lead us to a place of confession and repentance, restored faith and new faith. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.